Yes, once again, good morning, friends. There has been a lot of change over the last year and a half, changes to service, this is here in the church, changes to our lives, but the constant is and will be for the church that we will gather ourselves around and for Jesus Christ and learn through his word, amen? amen. So today we're gonna continue doing that by diving deep into the book of Jonah. That was a pun. Uh, I'm going to move on. So we're, <laughs> it's Father's Day, so I had to do a dad joke. Uh, we're continuing our study through the book of Jonah. Everyone's like, Tim, just teach the Bible, please. It's a series we're calling Rediscovering God because Jonah is a prophet in ancient Israel who was raised with the knowledge of God, but who turns out to have created a God of his own making. He needed to be retaught who God is and who he truly was. And his life becomes our lesson. Today, we learn about how to understand our consequences when we make decisions like Jonah. Let's read Jonah chapter one, verses four through 17. It's a grand narrative. I'm gonna read this all. We're gonna pray together and ask God to speak to every one of us. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we gather today in this parking lot and for those online, I pray that this would be more than hearing a voice just reverberate between these walls that we would hear your voice speaking to us. 
And I pray that in the midst of whatever distractions around us or within us, that we would hear you calling to us. That we would hear both the warnings of your word, but also the comforts of your word in a way that you would change us all. And for those who don't know you, would you reveal yourself to them today? Would they know what you have done for us all through your son, Jesus Christ? And may we be changed by him. We ask it in his name. And everyone said, amen. Well, during the 2011 British general election, the prime minister at the time, uh, Gordon Brown, was speaking on live television to a woman about foreign workers in the United Kingdom. And when he was finished, he got into his car. And that was the moment that he ruined his chance for re-election. Forgetting that his microphone was still on, he began complaining to all of his assistants in the car about the woman he was speaking with, how she was terrible, how she was a bigot. His remarks were quickly broadcast, creating a media storm, and no apologies could rescue the situation. I suppose when we hear a story like that, there's two lessons. One, the microphone is always on. Or at least we should all probably live as though it were true. But the second lesson is this. The media storm did not create the problem. The media storm revealed the problem. The microphone didn't create the problem. It was what was said into the microphone that created the problem. And in many ways, this captures the story of this prophet named Jonah here in chapter one. For what he thinks, what began as a private decision, quickly resulted in a public storm. But we will also see that the storm did not create the problem. The storm revealed a deeper problem. See, friends, this morning, I want us to note that the storm in Jonah chapter 1 is what we can call the storm of consequences. I feel like there should be theme music after that. It was the storm resulting in the consequences of his decisions. And we, the readers, are meant to ask, what is God saying to me about my decisions? How am I under... How am I to understand the consequences of my decisions if they're bad? Church, these are vital questions because how you answer them reveals what you truly believe and where your life is headed. So on the one hand, this will be a word word of warning to us about the consequences of our decisions, the consequences of bad decisions. And I say this up front, I know that this can be a very heavy subject. There will be a word of warning. But there is also here, friends, a word of comfort. Because know this, even in the storm of consequences, there is mercy and grace for us all. Jonah is a prophet in ancient Israel. His role 
was to represent God to his people. But when he was called by God to preach a message of mercy to his enemies, he books a ticket to travel in the opposite direction. He ran from God, and it took a storm to stop him. So what does this storm mean for Jonah? And what does this storm mean for us? I want us to note three lessons, three lessons this morning about the storm of consequences. I want us to note what this storm reveals, what it removes, and what it requires. The first is this, what does this storm reveal? And I want to say this up front, not all storms that you will experience in your life are directly related to a particular sin. Not all of our difficulties are connected to a specific disobedience. Many of the storms we have and will experience in life are the result of living in a broken, messed up, fallen world. And some of the storms we experience may be the result of other people's bad decisions. You don't have to say amen out loud. We all know it. Maybe even on this Father's Day, we think of these very subjects. Some of the storms that we experience in life may be the result of other people's sin. Indeed, it was the case with the sailors on the ship that day. And it's important for me to say this up front because just a pastoral word. So much pain has been caused in the church by undiscerning people who assume that every time someone else suffers, it's always because of their sin. You tell them, oh, I got in a car accident today. And they're like, oh, wow, really? Did you repent? You're like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Somebody hit me. And they're like, I know. How's your sin? <laughs> like, hey, settle down, overzealous Christian. Hey, this stuff like, needs to be said, right? Can we talk about this? It happens, and it shouldn't happen. Emphasis on the word undiscerning. So if you're like, what is he talking about? Might be good to do some research on that. That's your job this week. There are many examples in Scripture, like the book of Job, which teaches us that there is such a thing as innocent suffering. But having said that, this storm is a storm of consequences. And when we experience these storms, what does it reveal? Two things. First, it reveals our sin. When the storm of consequence comes, and it is the result of a decision that we have made. What does the storm reveal? It reveals our sin. We must be honest this morning and recognize that there are times when our difficulties are attached to our disobedience. If you perform a crime this week and you get locked up in jail, you shouldn't be lifting your hands and saying, why, Lord? Your inmate's like, dude, you broke the law. And you're like, I don't know, but isn't there more mystery? Like, I don't know, you broke the law, like you go to jail, it's a thing. And Jonah is an example. We are told in the text this morning that God brought the storm. 
And the connection to Jonah's decision to run from God could not be more clear. Look again at verses three and four. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after the paying the fare, at least Jonah paid for his ticket, and went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. As we see in this narrative, the result of Jonah's disobedience is so immediate. It's so powerful that even the sailors discern that there's something unnatural about it. Because this storm is God's wake-up call. It says in verse 5 and 6, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. And then the captain came to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, wake up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we do not perish. Sometimes, When we read the Bible, we read about God punishing sin directly, like society would punish a crime. But there are other times when it's the natural consequence of the sin itself, which is the punishment. Much like an addiction to a destructive substance, a drug is its own punishment. Oftentimes you'll read in Scripture, it'll say God gave them over to what they were pursuing. But in either case, know this, sin will always bring a storm. Again, not every storm is connected to our sin. But whenever we sin, it will always bring a storm. It may not happen immediately. It may not happen dramatically. But all sin will ultimately lead to the storm of judgment before a holy and righteous God in the end. Otherwise, there would be no justice. For those of you who might kind of not like that idea, like really we're talking about God's judgment of sin, just think about it for a moment. If there was no judgment, there'd be no justice. And then people doing all kinds of evil and crime in the end, it's just, well, everybody dies, so what? then there is no justice. But as it was for Jonah, so it is for us. If we have run from God, the following consequences, whether they're small or dramatic, whether they happen immediately or over time, those consequences, why does God allow them? They are meant to reveal our sin and wake us up like smelling salts to a sleeping heart. Now that might feel heavy, And it might feel harsh. Consequences can sometimes feel like a contradiction of God's love. But I want us to note this morning that these storms of consequence, they not only reveal our sin, but they also reveal God's love. Think about it. God will never make it easy for us to sin. It would be unloving you're like, I'm going to go have an affair. God's like, sure. I'm not going to convict you. Just go for it. Like, whatever. I'll pick it up with you again in 30 years. 
God will never make it easy for us to sin. And the, the Old Testament says that God would sometimes hedge our path if we're going in the wrong direction. He'll make it hard for us so that we would wake up. In fact, it's because sin, not the storm in this story, it's the sin in the heart that's the most dangerous thing in the story. And sin indeed is the most dangerous thing in our lives. And if that is so, the most loving thing that God could do is warn us. So though the consequences that we might experience feel heavy, and they might even feel like a contradiction of God's love, know this. Consequences are not a contradiction of God's love. They are an expression of God's love. If you sinned in your marriage, you sin against a friend, or, or you've, you've sinned in your work, and you are called out on that, people confront you. That's never pleasant. Nobody likes that. Who loves to be corrected? You're like, yes, do it again. Correct me, hit me. Nobody likes that. It hurts. The fallout, the result of that, it, if it's an affair, a marriage, there's broken trust there. It hurts. But those are meant to be like smelling salts. They're meant to, to wake us up. It's God's love in allowing that to happen. It's like an intervention. The consequences of our bad choices, they destroy the illusion that sin doesn't matter or that it's not a big deal. Because sin, if continued in, will always harden our conscience. And the more we sin, the more we become numb to it or the more we become asleep. Notice the trajectory of Jonah. He went down to find a ship. He went down to Joppa. He went down beneath the deck of the ship. The most concerning thing is not the storm on the sea. It's sin in the heart. It's what we're meant to see here in Jonah. And so God will allow the storm of consequences to reveal our sin, but through it, his love. It's the first thing that I want us to hear. But the second is this. There's not only something that this storm reveals, there's also things that this storm removes. And that's the second thing. What does the storm remove? The storm not only has a revealing effect, but a removing effect. So what is it that these consequences, the storm of consequence, remove? What we see in Jonah, the first thing is that these storms, they remove our false sense of security. This is important. No doubt Jonah saw the availability of the ship on that day as a sort of rubber stamp approval on his decision to flee to Tarshish. He might have thought, oh, look, it's a ship and it's available and I have enough money in my bank account and it happens to be going where I want to go to the farthest ends of the earth. I have money for the fair. Maybe God approves of me running from him. It sounds hilarious, but friends, let's be honest right now. Many of us do that. We're like, oh, I want to make a really terrible decision and I don't really feel any conviction right now. Maybe you work at a bank and you're like, oh, I need some money. And at the end of the day, there was some extra cash left over. And you're like, the Lord provides. Surely this is the Lord. I mean, there's money. I need money. Perfect. It's like a wedding. It's a marriage of my need and this opportunity. 
In the Bible, that's called self-justification. And it's not good. Self-justification is like a gateway drug to a world of bad decisions. For a while, it seemed that Jonah's runaway trip was all going as planned. But of course, it was only a matter of time before the storm on the sea removed his false sense of security. The reason it's important for us to think about this is because a false sense of security can drown out the voice of God and enable us to justify the direction we're heading. And the same is very often true of us. We mistake the ease of passage as a justification for our bad decisions. And we mistake God's momentary silence for his approval. To use the scenario again, I've cheated on my spouse, but nobody's found out, so maybe God's still blessing me. I still have my job. Isn't that a sign of his loving providence? We often confuse easy circumstances as maybe even being God's provision, when in fact, it is not God's approval, it is God's patience desiring for us to turn from sin. The Lord sent this storm in response to Jonah's sin, and it causes the sailors to cry to the heavens and descend into the ship to wake up their mysterious passenger. Look at verse six through seven. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Any idea that Jonah had of being able to flee from the presence of God is removed when he is awakened by the storm-tossed sailors. But there's something else that this storm removes. The storm of consequences removes our shallow sense of identity. Here's what I mean by that. In an effort to figure out who is responsible for the storm, we learn here the sailors, they cast lots and they fall to Jonah. And then they begin to interrogate Jonah. And it's in this moment that our reluctant prophet comes clean about his identity. So they ask him in verse eight, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? You can imagine like the heat lamp is put on him. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? But I want you to notice how Jonah answers. Jonah answers verse nine. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He had told them, we learn in verse 10, that he was running from God. But when he booked his travel, he did not tell them who he was or what he was responsible to do. And the storm removes Jonah's shallow sense of identity. Notice in his answer, the order is important. All the commentators address this. Before he says, I am a worshiper of God, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I am a Hebrew. And he reverses the order of their questions. In other words, the commentators say the way in which Jonah would answer that would show 
from him what was most important, where his primary sense of identity would lie. Of course, he was a Hebrew, but this order shows that his national identity actually came before his spiritual identity. Before I'm a worshiper, I am a Hebrew. And this becomes fundamental, and it begins for Jonah to skew his perspective. And this actually becomes part of the reason why it was so hard for him to show mercy to other nations. His national identity became most important, and so it shaped his decisions, even while also declaring himself to be a worshiper of God. His national identity became primary before his spiritual identity. And so he stayed far withdrawn from the other sailors as much as possible. But this also then affects his responsibility. Notice he, asks, he, he answers all of their questions except for one. He doesn't answer their question about his occupation. Hey, what do you do? He's like, yeah, I'm not gonna answer that. Why not, Jonah? Oh, well, I told you I was running from God, but what I didn't tell you is that my job is to actually tell other people about God. See, when we lose a sense of our primary responsibility, when something other than God becomes most important, it then affects our responsibility. Maybe we even begin to conceal these truths because it will only remind us that the direction we're heading when we're in sin is actually wrong. It's like those times for me when I'm on the phone with customer service. And my wife and my family will attest. Internet's not working. I've been overbilled. Oh, man, I am on like a justice mission. Would you mind waiting for 45 minutes? No problem. I'm like settled. I've got my coffee. I'm like, I'm ready to go. They're like arguing, you have to pay that fee. I'm not gonna pay that fee. You have overcharged me. And this is not the last time. There have been several other times in which you have overcharged me and not responded with the service that I request, that I signed a contract for. This is not right. And they're like, sir, settle down. I'm like, I need a refund. Finally, I get my way. They're like, okay, you're gonna get your refund. I'm like, yes. I just need to answer, have you answer a few questions. What's your occupation? <laughs> oh, uh, clergy? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, sir, what is it that you do? Uh, <clears throat> I'm a pastor. Sorry, you're a what? I'm a pastor. Oh, what is a pastor? Oh, you know, I'm supposed to represent God, um, especially to those who, uh, you know, don't know him. <laughs> True stories happened to me several occasions. <laughs> now we laugh, but of course, this is what happens when we allow sin to rule. Listen, sin silences our witness. Right in front of Jonah is a group of people who are lost and need the good news, but because Jonah's running from God, he's gotten his priorities out of order. He's not concerned for them, he's concerned for himself, and so it silenced his witness. Friends, this is one of the reasons why it is so important for us to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he's turning us away from sin, because one of the results is that it silences the witness of the church. And we need to hear that. We need to respond to that. And isn't it telling that it's even the, the pagan sailors here who are like, hey, why aren't you doing what you should be doing? It's like having people who are not believers like, hey, can you lead me to the way of peace? 
You're like, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't okay. I mean, this was my story when I became a new Christian. I had a season where I fell back into some old sin patterns and I didn't want to talk about my faith. The honeymoon season was over. And some of my friends, you know, were like partying and I was going back to my old ways. They're asking like, hey, what's the meaning of life? I'm like, I don't know, give me a beer. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it right now. Hey, didn't you say something about God like a few months ago? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, whatever, like, let's talk about something else. Hey, the game is on, that looks good. But it was later when God convicted me of my compromise. And I turned back and I had to apologize to some of my friends saying, hey, I wasn't forthright with you. I've become a follower of Jesus. And the most important thing for me to say with you is not just to like hang out with you, it's to tell you about Jesus. Are there ways in which our witness has been silenced by our decision? The storm of consequences reveal our sin. They also reveal God's love. They remove this false sense of security. It removes a shallow sense of identity. But what do we do with that? Some of you right now are like, okay, I get it. I'm making bad decisions right now. There's decisions years ago and I'm still feeling the consequences of that. I feel like God's far from me and I don't know what to do with that. Well, that's why friends, we need to see this last point. What does the storm require? Please take this to heart. As the storm of consequence does its work of revealing and removing, the narrative begins to show us what the storm requires. And here in this moment, Jonah begins to show us. And there's two things that I want us to see. The first is that the storm requires repentance. What is repentance? It means to turn. To turn a 180. And as Jonah responds, we begin to learn what repentance looks like. Notice verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? He says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has become upon you. Notice, he takes responsibility before God. And his response compared to the sailors, actually shows us the difference between true repentance and false repentance. Notice the sailors in verse 11, they're only interested in getting out of the storm. But Jonah is now interested in dealing with the cause. And that's the difference. False repentance only asks, how can I get out of this mess? Oh, I'm in jail. Oh, these people don't trust me anymore. I don't like the way that feels. I want to get out of this mess. False repentance is just looking to get rid of the, the consequences, the storm itself. And that might be the tr true for us. We just don't like the consequence itself. But friends, the main point is not getting out of the storm. It's settling the matter with God. Real repentance asks since these consequences are the result of my running from God, how can I be restored to God? The storm of consequences calling us to look beyond the storm. It's a signpost beckoning for us to turn to God. Because whenever God says no, it's always for a greater yes. He's saying, don't go this way because I want you to be with me. And notice here, Jonah has stopped making excuses. 
His false sense of justification and security have been removed. He acknowledges his sin and he acknowledges what it deserves. He says to the sailors, look, throw me overboard. This is what my sin deserves and my sin requires payment. And if I am thrown over, you will be safe. I will be a substitute for us. The narrative goes on in verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. That's like a picture of religion, by the way. You're like, no, we can deal with it. It's like, never. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows for him. You say, great. So that's it? It's all on me to make this right? No, here's the good news. These storms ultimately require not just repentance, but the reason for repentance, and that's God's grace. You might say, great. Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Answer? It's already under the water. Verse 17, now the Lord, or a literal translation is, but the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. When we read that, we should be like, oh my goodness. Can we say that together? Oh my goodness, even while Jonah, like, why did I just say that? Here's why. Even while Jonah was running, being confronted with the consequence of his sin and reckoning the cost of his sin, God already provided a means to save him from his sins. That's good news. God sent the storm to wake us up to the reality of sin, but God also sent the fish to provide mercy and grace for his sin. And without knowing it, Jonah was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but with a massive difference. Jesus fulfilled his mission perfectly through obedience. But to save us, he took the penalty for our disobedience when he went to the cross 2,000 years ago to pay for our sin. Jesus was the sinless substitute who said on that day on Calvary, throw me into the ultimate storm of consequences that your sin deserves and you will never drown. And the sailors were safe. We are the sailors. We're like somebody else sacrificed for me. And as a result, I am safe. Friends, there is grace for us and it has already been provided. It's already there. The finished work of Jesus Christ, it is already done. So if your trust is in Jesus today, it means that you're trusting in him as your substitute. And here's what that means. It means that God, although he allows the consequences of our bad choices to wake us up, he has made it so that we will never drown because the ultimate consequence of our sin is eternal separation from God. But the sacrifice of Jesus has already made the payment and provided the forgiveness. So this means that the consequences that you and I experience, they will have a purifying effect but they will never be our ultimate punishment for all those who trust in Jesus. You may be woken up. You may be corrected. You may be redirected by the conviction of the Spirit, but you will never pay the ultimate price. 
Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you could not only be forgiven, but restored, accepted, renewed, empowered, and made right. And that's why these corrections are called God's loving discipline. So friends, hear this from Hebrews chapter 12. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, friend, you're running from God, you're flirting with sin, you're in sin, you've hardened yourself to it, that is an expression of God's love. He's saying, I love you so much that I'm not gonna let you go there. I love you so much that I wanna wake you up. I love you so much I'm gonna send irritating Christians into your life who are like, how can I pray for you? I'm praying for you. Hey, you should probably repent. He's gonna send those people into your life to wake you up because he loves you. 